Welcome to the No Shame in This Money Game podcast, summer 2021. As host and financial educator, I've interviewed 15 professionals over the last year, from lawyers to CPAs to money coaches and YouTubers. I've been on a mission to break down some complicated money topics so that you, the listener, will keep listening and want to learn more. The last year and a half has been challenging for all of us and life-changing for many. And even though we've all lived through this time together, our experiences navigating the financial challenges we've each faced are unique to each and every one of us. Fortunately, there's been a lot of great advice given by the guests of the No Shame in This Money Game podcast. And so in this episode, I'm going to give you the takeaways, the highlights, the best of moments, hoping that you might go back to the library of podcasts at rocklandtrust.com or wherever you find your podcasts to take a deeper dive into the subjects that are most of interest to you. So let's start at the beginning. Now, I know that Dave Smith, our first guest, who's managing director and chief investment officer of the investment management group at Rockland Trust, said he did not have a crystal ball, but he was crystal clear about how investing in the stock market is a long-term strategy. Take a listen. So one of the things that is very, very challenging to do is to figure out in any time, what the market's going to do next. In this challenging time, I would say it's as opaque as ever. We don't have a crystal ball here, but there's never been a time in my career where I wish I had one more than I do right now. The future of this thing is so opaque because of the medical challenges we described and the economic implications of the activity that we need to take to manage the medical challenge. It's very, very difficult to understand what's going to happen next, when we'll be able to go back to work and the economy will get back on track and ultimately companies will start to generate revenue and earnings again. We know that time in the market, not timing the market, is ultimately the key to success. So if you start investing today and you are investing for the long term, I feel very good about your ability to generate returns that will help you reach your long-term goals. Time in the market, not timing in the market. That's the takeaway. The average stock market return over the long term is about 10% annually, but many of us are not taking the plunge to invest because we're scared, intimidated, or just uneducated. The uneducated part is what Janelli Espinal from NextGen Personal Finance a.k.a. YouTube's Miss Be Helpful, is trying to combat by rallying for Mission 2030 to have every high school student in the nation graduate with a semester-long class in personal finance under their belt. Take a listen to Janelli in Episode 11. We have to make it clear that, you know, we actually do support a required personal finance class for a full semester. And we're not only do we support it, but we are going to make it possible for teachers and schools to be able to do this. Administrators, principals, superintendents need to not fear that there's going to be a price tag, that they don't have it in the budget, that they don't have the materials. None of that is necessary. We've got everything on our website for free. And so basically the the only piece missing was to, you know, Put a stake in the ground and just stop being fearful of stirring people's feathers and just say, listen, the right thing to do is that to make sure that every single student in America, before they graduate high school and turn 18, before they're legal and able to go sign contracts for student loans and car loans and credit cards, before they are able to go make financial mistakes, they should 100% have taken 
minimum of 18 weeks of instruction in personal finance content. So they can learn, you know, basics, saving, checking, banking, budgeting, insurance, taxes, investing, credit, paying for college. I mean, it's so hard to fit it all into 18 weeks as it is, right? So imagine trying to cut that short or embed you know, budgeting into a business class or something else. Like that's the way that it's taking form in so many states. And we realize like we just can't keep playing games. We got to get serious about our mission. So mission 2030 means by the year 2030, our vision is that every single one of the 50 states will have a full semester of personal finance and high school required for every student before they cross the graduation stage. Well, that's good news. There's definite hope for the future. And the takeaway here is that even though the state of Massachusetts does not require a semester-long class in personal finance in order to graduate high school, cities and towns have autonomy to make that happen. Stoughton High, Newton North, Nantucket High, they all have. And NGPF provides teacher training for free. But if you're not ready to advocate for change and you just want to get your own financial life in order, where do you start? What if you're knee-deep into adulting and feel a little, well out of shape. Financial planning can be overwhelming, and maybe you just need to hit the gym, the financial gym, that is. Shannon McClay, in Episode 8, talks about how to get financially fit. Some people don't love hearing financial planner. It seems like it's a lot of plan, doesn't sound fun. We just call it like your roadmap, and we make a lot, we make an analogy to a road trip, and I always say, you know, none of us would get in a car. If you think about your adult life being a road trip from New York to California, none of us would get in a car trip from New York to California without some kind of game plan, maps, you know, ways, whatever we're going to use, like where we're going to go. We wouldn't do that. But yet financially, we are driving around without roadmaps all the time and we're making rights and lefts and we're making decisions every single day that are impacting that road trip and we have no idea. A lot of times we meet with our clients and they're like, I don't know where I am because we're making all these decisions and we're doing it without the roadmap. And half of the battle is just having the roadmap. The takeaway from the financial jam, somebody get the map. And whether that's a written plan on a napkin or a Google Doc or a spreadsheet or on an app, if you don't have a plan, be prepared to feel lost. And so many of us do feel lost. Sometimes just the thought of getting financially organized takes being in a certain mindset. Belinda Rosenblum, CPA and money strategist, talks a lot about your money mindset and how that mindset is set at a very young age. Those baked-in beliefs that we start telling ourselves at this young age form a kind of money story that we continue to tell ourselves, and that can keep us from achieving our goals. For most people, the biggest barrier and the biggest block, the biggest enemy to changing your financial situation and really getting yourself on that path of financial freedom is yourself. And it's often a limiting belief that you picked up early on, like when you were anywhere from like six to eight or 10. A limiting belief is a state of mind, conviction, or belief that you think to be true that limits you in some way. This limiting belief could be about you, your interactions with other people, or with the world and how it works. Belinda teamed up with a psychotherapist to co-author a book called Self-Worth to Net Worth, 12 Keys to Creating Wealth Inside and Out. 
she uses the idea of limiting beliefs that hold you back in her book. When I started to really dive in and have these conversations with a psychotherapist and relate it to money and write it into the book, what I, and I guess it was 2012, we published the book. And what we came to realize is that we're forming these beliefs so early And it's ironic because I have a child who just turned five and a child who's turning seven. And I'm like, wow, I'm locking in their beliefs with money right now. Great. No pressure, (laughs) mom and dad. I know. It's like we take a belief on and then we just keep living into it and we keep finding evidence for the same limiting beliefs again and again. And then we wonder, gosh, I'm in this pattern or, you know, why aren't things working out for me? Well, we're asking ourselves the wrong questions, right? We just keep living into this non-supportive fixed mindset of there isn't enough and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not good at math. And I guess this is how it's going to be. And people get very resigned. And then they feel very ashamed of the position that they put themselves in and they make it about them. So it's not just about the money, right? Or about the opportunities that they have or haven't had so far. It becomes almost like not a badge of honor, but it becomes an identity for them. I say not an honor because people are rather frustrated and sad and trapped by these limiting beliefs. But it feels like it's such a part of their identity. They don't feel like they can separate from it, right? And so when you can start to realize almost like a mindfulness practice or a yoga practice or, you know, where you realize that you are not your thoughts, like you are not these limiting beliefs, you have created them and better yet, you created them with the mind and heart of a six-year-old or an eight-year-old, right? When you can step away from it a little bit and give it a little bit of space and say, wait a second, what is the core belief that I am living through around money? And then how do I just keep making that happen? And then what if I were to reverse engineer a better belief, right? And instead start to say, well, what could be my core belief around money instead? And then what kind of results would that create? And it's all part of that strategy idea. What can we take away from this episode? The way you think about money isn't just black and white or simply numbers. It has more to do with our initial experiences with money than we realize. And when we give ourselves the time and space to recognize and reconcile with those initial experiences, we can begin to realize that we are capable of more than we imagined. Speaking of imaginations, many of us have imagined a happily ever after since the time we were read our first fairy tale or saw our first Disney movie. Unfortunately, happily ever after isn't the plot line in many of our own lives, and when you're not financially prepared for plan B, it can be very overwhelming. Thankfully, we had Melissa Wish and Erica Ford, attorneys with Four Winds Advisors on the podcast, talking about love and money and everything in between. And it's funny, when we sit with people, they come out on the other side feeling very empowered is the word a lot of them use, because now they're in a position of having real knowledge and they feel like they can make a more intelligent choice for themselves. Yeah, and we try to take away the shame pretty quickly. I mean, it's 2020. Nationwide, the divorce rate is 60%. And there's really no shame in it. And there's not a badge that you get because you suffer the longest or because you tolerate being mistreated the longest. 
Right. And like you said earlier, Erica, we have this fairy tale image of marriage and what it is and what it should be and the happily ever after. And that's where that initial shame, I think, comes in. And I've found that a lot of folks that I've talked to have been told that they can't afford a divorce. Can you speak to that and why someone would be told that? I mean, it is a fact, especially around here, that it's so expensive for for real estate now or even to get an apartment. So if you're splitting two households, yeah, can you afford two mortgages? Can you afford a mortgage in an apartment? That is a reality that people look at. We have people moving in with friends or family because they don't have the funds at that point. So I understand that aspect of not being able to afford it. And then I think people look at splitting... You know, you have your 401ks and you're going off in the sunset and your retirement going on cruises together with this money. Now you each have half of that amount of money. So I think that's kind of the functional aspect people might be looking at. And then also attorney's fees, right? You know, they think it's going to be the $80,000 divorce, whereas as Melissa had said, you can mediate, which is much more affordable. If you can't stand to be in the room together and mediate... You could even have your hire each an attorney who would speak to each other and try to work out the divorce for you instead of a prolonged court case. And what's the takeaway here? That relationships are complicated. So talking about the tough stuff before getting married is best. But in the end, if things don't go the way you hoped when you said I do, there are ways you can emerge from a divorce with peace of mind and a financial plan for the future. Speaking of relationships and families, Bonnie Liddell, another Rockland Trust colleague of mine, who's the first vice president of the Investment Management Group, talked about estate planning back in episode two. Now, you might not think you have an estate, but chances are by virtue of the fact that you own a house or have a 401k through work or have a child, you do. So making sure you have documents like a will, a trust, a healthcare proxy, they're critical. But where do you start? I asked Bonnie, and what she said was very refreshing. When you go see an attorney, or you're, you're trying to decide, you're, you're trying to pick a, an attorney, you certainly have to have that rapport. You know, you have to like them. And that might sound silly and starting off with that, but I think it's the same as when you're choosing a doctor. I mean, you obviously want a competent attorney. You want an attorney who specializes in estate planning and administration of estates. You know, you don't probably want to go see a real estate attorney to draft your estate planning documents, especially if you have a complex estate. But you want to make sure that you can work with that individual because, you know, you are going to be sharing a lot of personal information. You know, you may have issues with your children that you're going to need to address. You may have some concerns. And, it, you know, it's a very personal conversation. And like we said, you know, you're going to be talking about end-of-life issues, your mortality, perhaps you have a blended family, you may have a spendthrift child. So, you know, you really do need to feel comfortable with the person that you choose. I think that's such great. Again, this relationship we have with our money is not all numbers and cold, hard facts. The takeaway here. It's called personal finance for a reason. This stuff is personal. And in order to open up to someone about your past, present, and future, you need to actually like or be able to connect with the people who are helping you along the way. 
Connecting with you and the guests I've had on the No Shame in This Money Game podcast this year has been amazing. And I am so excited to introduce you to more financial education as we move into the fall with the No Shame in This Money Game's Mini Money Minutes, where I plan to define and explain the pesky financial jargon that may be holding you back from taking positive steps and managing your financial future. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Hello. Hello, Julie. Chris Aldison here. Oh, hello, Chris. Well, this is fun. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, Chris is the CEO of Rockland Trust and just happens to be a listener of the No Shame in This Money Game podcast. Yes, Julie. I'm a big listener and a big fan, and I'm really excited to be here today. Those of you who are also fans and listeners to the No Shame in This Money Game podcast know that Julie ends each episode by asking the guest a question. And today, I thought I would ask Julie that same question. Here we go. Since Roth and Trust is the bank where each relationship matters, what is the one word you would use to describe your relationship with money and why? Oh my goodness. Okay. The tables have been turned. And um, I, I actually have thought about this as I ask all my guests this question. And the word that I keep coming back to is potential. And I think, you know, I'm not very scientific, but I remember from grade school, you know, that every object has potential energy and it is stored energy. And I think of money as that an object that has this potential because we get to choose if we are privileged enough to earn money and have money we get to choose how we use that money or that energy and and it can do a lot of good for ourselves our families the people we love do good for the world or it can be really stagnant and just sit there and and not do much so i've thought a lot about that idea of the potential we all have to make choices with our money that actually grow our potential. I'm a big believer of experiences and education and all of those things that make ourselves grow and learn and our money can help us do that. And so that's my big takeaway for this question that I have thought about for a little bit is, is potential. Wow, Julie, that is a really great answer. Thank you. And speaking of potential, there is just so much potential regarding what we can do for our community and for our customers when it comes to financial education. So thank you for creating this podcast on behalf of Rothman Trust and for continuing to bring financial education to people of all ages and engaging in such entertaining ways. Well, thank you, Chris. I love the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the No Shame in This Money Game podcast brought to you by Rockland Trust, member FDIC. My name is Julie Beckham, and yes, I do take requests. So be sure to email your personal finance questions and curiosities to me, your host and your educator at julie.beckham at rocklandtrust.com.